Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. Today, this episode comes from a request slash suggestion, actually, from a couple of different listeners asking us about some of our favorite things, like some things that we can recommend. And we said, hey, that's a cool idea. Let's put it out to our audience. So we asked on Instagram, what do you guys want to know? And we kind of broke it down to some different areas. And we are really excited to share some tips, tricks, and just favorites with you guys. Listen, we're putting ourselves at the same level as Oprah because I mean, because the, the connection is clear, the celebrity is clear, and we just want to make it official that, uh, (laughs) if Oprah can come out with a list of her favorite things for 2020, uh, we can come up with our favorite things for 2021. Oh, I was like, Amanda, it's 2021. Listen, I have not yet seen her official 2021 list, but we are going to put ours out there at the very beginning. And it's going to be, you guys, everything from more crap you don't need on Amazon and Target all the way through pedagogical lesson planning kinds of things. So the gamut tis wide. Yes. And it's all those things that you expect from us here at Brave New Teaching. So uh, let's jump in. Cue the music. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. 
Okay, friends. So like we said in the intro, we have boiled down your questions, your requests for suggestions into three major areas. We're going to be talking about general teacher life, right? Home, classroom, etc. We are going to be talking about books and text recommendations, and we're going to be talking about some lessons and strategies. And we are not going to be able in this short little episode here to cover all of the things. We want to make sure that we mention many times, many, many times to head to bravenewteaching.com and check out the show notes for today's episode, because that's where you'll find a lot of links to the different things and resources we're talking about, as well as even more fun stuff from these two brains. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the two brains where are the we gonna brains. start marie uh let's talk about teacher life and i actually this one goes straight to you amanda because you've done more travel than i have period i just thought this was like the coolest question what's your favorite national park okay so i <laughs> have to have a roundabout answer of course so My answer to that is a national park that's not in the United States. It was not specified in the question that they had to be in the United States. A loophole. A loophole. Um, There's actually the one I would say of that's my absolute favorite um, would be um, Iguazu. It's a national park in Argentina. And it is, if you look, uh, if you Google this, um, you'll see it's a national park of waterfalls. And it's basically the border between Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay. And it's just giant cliffs of waterfalls just spilling into international waters. And it is like the, it is, it is hands down. We spent two days there when I was in college, I studied abroad in Argentina, which is why I was there. And um, it was like the coolest experience of my life. But if you're asking about national parks in the U S my favorite national park that I've never been to and where I plan to go very, very soon is Glacier National Park. That is very high on the bucket list of places to go, COVID or not, because hooray for national parks, because you can go to them. I've only really only been to a handful of others. We've been to um, Grand Canyon. That's pretty sweet. But Illinois is kind of crappy when it comes to national parks. There's not a lot around here. And kind of why I don't love the Midwest that much, because it takes a long time to get cool places. I get that. I've been so. to quite a handful. I mean, I'm in California, so I've, yeah. I've been yeah. to quite a few national parks and I just I love them. I like the mountains. I like the beach. I like it all. And I'm liking it more and more now that I can spend time with my kids yeah. at parks and not like have to change a diaper. So like. It'll, it'll, you'll get there. You'll get there too, Amanda. I promise. Um, so actually let's get into another, we had a bunch of requests for recipes, go-to recipes, quick recipes. We had a request for just food meals and that sort of a thing. So I can share a very easy recipe that my son hands down says is his favorite thing. And it's the simplest roasted chicken. So I apologize to all of my vegetarian and vegan friends who are listening right now. The meat eaters moment. Um, you guys, this is this simple. You turn on your oven to like 425, 450, like crazy high roasting status. You take some olive oil, you put it in a baking dish. You take chicken breasts or eh, tenders, it works, but you're going to want to watch it or chicken thighs. You coat them in the oil back and forth, back and forth. I use boneless, skinless, and then whatever kind of seasoning you want to use. I literally use salt, a little bit of onion powder, and a tiny bit of paprika. Sprinkle it on both sides. When the oven comes to temp, 
put that stinker in for like 20, maybe 25 minutes until it's just done. Take it out, tent it with foil for like 10 to 15 minutes. You will have the best <laughs> chicken. <laughs> it's so good. There that you go. Freaking delicious. It's kind of, that's kind of like my girl, uh, lazy genius has a change your life chicken. Yes. Very similar high temp, go for it, make it happen. It's um, easy. My, our go-to recipe at our family, I'd say is a, a weekly in the weekly rotation is chicken fajitas. So same as you, I throw my chicken in a little bit lower temp. Cause I just do, you know, we're probably just doing two or three breasts, um, in the pan, season it how you like. I throw it in the oven for about 35 minutes at 350. And part of that's because I don't want to have to watch it because 35 minutes in the oven is a bath right? That's like change, get in the bath, do bath, like chickens cooking. And then when the kids are all dressed and everything, um, Luis is basically in the kitchen. He just fries up peppers, onions, and then all the fixings are just stuff in the fridge. Right. So okay. got my salsa valentina, a little sour cream, a little guacamole, a little whatever's around hanging around shredded cheese is like everywhere. And that's it. So like, it's not fancy. Um, uh, we love our refried beans, but we love them from the can. So it's a staple, a pantry staple, but it's also fresh, um, kind of a meal. And we do it. You can, and you can rotate your meat, you know, you yeah. can throw all of this on one sheet pan if you wanted to and do it in the oven, but fajitas are awesome way to get vegetables in for the monsters who well, avoid them. And one of the things you said is like, it's like a, it's a favorite, right? So you can like put it into the rotation. One of the other questions that we got a few like times was about work-life balance, which I, I have to say, I've said it before. I will say it again. It's a myth. Having true balance between work and life is not a thing. Okay, everybody, it's just not a thing. You're always going to have the scales tilted at least slightly in one way or the other. That said, there are definitely some strategies to put in place to make it less painful <laughs> to be able to teach full time. And like Amanda and I are running like a podcast and businesses on the side and we have small kids and, 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 and yes, it's busy, but it doesn't have to be like break you busy. So there are yep. some things when we're talking about meals. Um, I used to be the meal prepper and planner. Like we would plan meals on like Friday night, Saturday morning, I would go out shopping and maybe Sunday I would spend like a good solid two to three hours prepping meals for the week to come. I'm just like super not about that life right now. I don't want to be spending my whole Sunday prepping meals. So instead I still plan, but we plan meals depending on what's going on for the week and like how long things are going to take. We like to put a little takeout in there sometimes so that yeah. like there's no, yeah, you just, you, you want to really rather than like having a solid plan, find a rhythm for yourself and your household, however many people that is. That's my big tip is find your rhythm. I, I and I think the only w other way that I've looked at it is, is very similar is like, take a moment to like recognize your stage in life right now and decide what's important and what matters to you. You know, like if your your stage of life is going to be different every couple of months, every year, every several years, you know, whenever, you know, things, the wind changes. Um, and I'm similar to you, Marie, I'm at the stage of life where I want to provide healthy and nutritious food for my kids, but I also want to spend time with them. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes that means that we're having frozen chicken nuggets a couple nights a week and hot dogs and it's okay. And also no one cares and my kids will be fine. Um, yeah. I'm trying not to get wrapped up in anyone else's opinion. Well, like I can tell you the chicken thing that I, that I described to you guys, Eloise could probably tell you step-by-step, step, but she's also four and a half. Neither of your kids is that old. 
right? So like, and, and some of you listening are like, I live alone. Like I, you know, or like, it's only the two of us, or I live with whatever, like a roommate. And so it's going to be a different situation. Yep. Really, like Amanda's saying is like, take a look at not what you wish your life was like, but what your life actually is. Like yep. make it actually work for you. I don't want to spend my whole Sunday food prepping, but I do want to spend a solid amount of time making our weekly treat with my kids. Like last weekend, we made apple crisp together and they were in it and it was not the prettiest baked good I have ever made, but the kids made it and, and, and then tried to eat the whole thing. Um, and those are the experiences. Like you're like, I get to spend time with them. Um, or like, I just want to watch my favorite show ever right now, escape to the chateau. It's from HGTV, but we so watched good. it through Hulu. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Like, I just wanted to watch the latest episode. I did not want to make whatever it was that I had thought to myself, Oh, I'm going to be amazing and make this. So I was like, forget it, putting it on the grocery order, right? Like so it's if, okay. <laughs> if you're looking for favorite things. Then I guess if I could boil it down before we move on, I'd say yeah. for me, favorite things are going to be grocery pickup for sure is a game changer. Like I'm done wandering the aisles unless that's like a fun thing I get to do by myself without a mask on someday. Um, so grocery pickup for sure is one of them. Number two, I still, I still abide by the lazy genius podcast. She has exactly the same philosophy and so many good ideas for like, building your, what does she call them? Um, docket. Yeah. She has a docket for like how to do your rotations, but also, uh, like no brainer meals, you know, like oh, just yeah. those things that are off the cuff. So that's really helped me recognize, um, that. So those two, I recommend a podcast and keep getting your groceries picked up. <laughs> totally. I would say my one favorite to add to that is to pepper in a meal, like prep service. It's fun. And it's worth it and it changes things up and it makes it so you don't really have to think about it. you can follow like we do hello fresh once a month and we'll get three my meals first one's coming tomorrow oh my gosh amanda it's so fun um you get like we just get three meals the first weekend of the month and then i know that the first week of the month i've got three meals taken care of bam done and i get to try new stuff and like do different things yeah. and i don't have to worry about ingredients and portions and all of that good stuff. Okay. The last fun thing that we have, this is I, you guys, this is a smattering. We started with this one because it's all over the place. The other ones are a little bit more like normal regimented a bit, a little, a little more together. Um, we had a bunch of questions asking us about our favorite snacks. And my favorite one was asking us our favorite pastries. <laughs> and it's so hard. I mean, I have a no brainer answer. It's chocolate croissants. It's pound chocolat, but like, oh. Yummy. But they have to be fresh. Otherwise, I just want a donut. Like I freaking loved. I almost swore. I love donuts so much that I was going to swear on the podcast that I have not sworn on to date. To date. <laughs> so this is why I'm like sitting here thinking because I'm like wondering how it is possible that we're friends. I am. I am a bagels over donut person every time. I don't know what it is about bagels. I don't know what it is about bagels but a toasted everything bagel. I mean, you're not wrong. Strawberry cream cheese. No, no, that's where you go wrong. Is, no, no sweet no. and savory and salty. All of that together. It is. It's my breakfast. Listen, like, I, I love I you, but that's dumb. Here's what well, you need to be saying. <laughs> everything bagel toasted. I'm with you. Whipped plain cream cheese. Good too. Locks. And thinly sliced tomato with a little bit of salt on top. Oh my God. <gasps> Strawberry cream cheese. Get out of here. Strawberry cream cheese all the way. <laughs> oh 
all the way. All okay. The way. How about some snacks? How about some favorite snacks that maybe we keep like when we're in our classroom in our drawer, like, you know, keep on hand, that kind of a thing. I'm a trail mix girl. I do. Like I a was good, just going to say, yeah. I love, yeah. I like making my own. I like yeah. just getting like peanuts, some almonds, maybe I'll throw some pretzels in if I want to and chocolate chips, Dunsky. Yeah, I, I definitely love a good trail mix. Uh, I don't discriminate when it comes to crackers and chips. I mean, you name it. I love to put it in hummus or any kind of cheese dip cheese. Oh, I could do snacks all day. That's my favorite part about Thanksgiving is making all the cheese oh, dips yeah. and buffalo chicken this and like, oh my gosh. I just like an apple. Like I'll literally just throw an apple in my bag and then be like, oh, yeah. look, a snack. Okay. I, I do like that. We've gotten super off track and this is a weird one for this podcast, but that's fine. Hey, weird. let's start talking. What you wanted to know the people, it's true. Asked, Marie. They Give asked the people us. what they want and it's not strawberry cream cheese. Let's talk about books and texts. Shall we? We had a bunch of questions about novels for students and different texts for students. And one that I feel particularly <laughs> good about answering was the question about YA novels to have for students. And I will say like, if you're looking for ways to diversify your classroom library, if you were looking for ways to just modernize, which by the way, if you're finding a bunch of contemporary YA novels, you're generally going to be diversifying <laughs> your classroom library because a lot of the new stuff out there that you're going to find and get your hands on is just great. It's more reflective of the actual students we have in our classrooms. Um, but there are some novels that I am finding students cannot get enough of. Um, I have Red Queen by Victoria Aviard is a novel that my students cannot get enough of. Um, the Gracier by, oh gosh, what is the, I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, no, I'm not. We're going to, we're going to link it in the show notes is a novel that a lot of my students cannot get enough of. And then there are some like older ones, like Maze Runner students <laughs> that got so popular and like Hunger Games. Those got popular for a reason. These once again are not necessarily, um, from the most diverse voices, culturally speaking, especially, um, but there are some really popular titles. There is one that I love that my students absolutely love. It's called Pride uh, by, oh yes, by A.B. Zoboy. Oh gosh. And I knew that too. And I, I follow her on Instagram. She's so fun to follow. Any the, With the Fire on High, which I've talked about in previous episodes, I'm going to put a huge list for you guys in and like a bunch of links and stuff in the show notes. That's so kind of you. Isn't it? I also... In case you guys didn't know this about me, I, I am like all about choice novels and choice texts in my class. And I have like a free training, which I will link in the show notes as to how I go about that. And just kind of like the mindset that you have to be in as a teacher to be able to have a successful choice novel or a choice text unit. So that'll be there for you. We also got a really specific question about our favorite novel to teach 12th grade. So seniors and Marie and I have both taught seniors, but I, I kind of wanted to kick this one off myself. Um, I, I have, I'm a, I'm in a tie for two that were favorites for me. Um, one was Handmaid's Tale. I I've seen Handmaid's Tale on a lot of sophomore lists under like the, the dystopia umbrella but I'm telling you, teaching it to 12th grade has had always been one of the highlights of my year because I feel like there's, well, I don't feel like, I know that there's a huge difference in the maturity and psychology between a sophomore and a senior. And the conversations that Handmaid's Tale 
brought to light from students were like gave me goosebumps every time. Like they were so adept at, at having those conversations and so invested in that. Um, so I, I think Handmaid's Tale is tough no matter when you teach it, that the topics and the, the content are, are tough, but it was really good at 12. The other one that was really good at 12th grade that I taught was um, how the Garcia girls lost their accents. Hmm. Another wonderful story, but again, definitely requires some of that maturity that your ninth and 10th graders and even your 11th graders might not have the brain space to hold on to. Um, the nice thing too about senior lit is for at least at our school is that it's their semester long classes. So that kind of, it feels like when you're only teaching for a semester, there's kind of this weight that comes off your shoulders and books become a little bit more casual and a little bit more conversational. And, um, that's Julia Alvarez, by the way. And that story is all about like kind of coming of age in the U S having immigrated from the Dominican Republic and that perspective of, losing your accent. Like we, we came back to that over and over and over again. Um, and what that means. And so if you're looking at identity, um, or even anything else about immigration, things like that, that's a great text to look at with 12th grade. Um, I'm actually kind of out of character going to mention a novel from the canon, (laughs) from the old white canon, um, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen is I've, I've had such a great, it's such a great opener to a lot of things that uh, 12th graders especially can really like chomp down on. There's a whole relationships unit that I do with choice novels. And we start by looking at Pride and Prejudice because I mean, with the students I'm teaching, a lot of them are more familiar with, with works of the canon because that's what they've been getting. And we can jump into a lot of just family issues, relationship issues, self-identity and that sort of a thing. And then like, it's a great jumping off point and it's short enough that, um, I can get through Pride and Prejudice in like a week and a half and like, and it's a good one. Like it's, it stands the test of time, I think. So yeah. Love it. Um, let's see. We had some questions about nonfiction, Like, what are your favorite nonfiction to teach? I'll just kind of jump in because I can't think of a specific one right at this moment. Um, But I love teaching documentaries. I like using documentaries, whether they are snippets or full-length documentaries um, as nonfiction text. There's so many different reasons that I like to use, like, non-conventional text like that. But Amanda's got specific ideas for you. Yeah. Um, I, so I've got a couple of suggestions. One, depending on the level of your students, one of the best things I ever taught was Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Between the World and Me. Um, that's a very, very powerful look at race relations in America. Um, he's just basically writing a letter to his son um, about what it means to be a black man in America. And it echoes a similar um, style of, um, of writing from James Baldwin that he, he wrote uh, earlier in the century. And so I can link both of those for you guys. They're really, really good. Um, tough. And I think your kids are going to be ready for that conversation, but a really po- powerful pairing um, within a unit that that's going to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, and then I'd say, you know, the other, 
way that I've loved nonfiction is through the study of memoir. Um, yes. if, if you're doing a writing unit where kids are writing memoir, I I've, I've chopped up and done close readings of dozens and dozens of different memoirs, which is just such a cool way to get, um, a huge array of voices in your classroom. I mean, just offhand, I think about my kids who have read glass castle by Jeanette walls. They love glass castle, um, educated, um, Tara Westover, bossy pants by Tina Fey becoming yes. Michelle Obama, um, wild, um, the Cheryl Strayed. Um, those are lots of women. Um, and no, no, I was just going to say, I have a bunch of kids. Well, my juniors right now, like literally right now have just entered into a choice memoir unit. And so I have a lot of students reading many of the, of the titles you just said, I have a bunch of kids that were like, I am going to jump into a promised land by Barack Obama. And I was like, oh that, is a, I'm in that, that is a, that right is a tome. <laughs> I am proud of you kids. That is a giant book. Um, and they want to read like Muhammad Ali's memoir and um, Trevor Noah born a crime. And there are a lot of, it's very cool for students to get those like firsthand experiences, especially. Yeah. If you're going to dedicate a full unit to nonfiction and, or a full text, I guess, I think memoir is a great way to go. We're actually teaching this year. We taught it last year too. We teach Columbine. Um, by Dave Cullen at our, in our AP class. And, and here's the problem with Columbine. The kids are hooked from, for the, it's, it's like 500 pages. It is yeah. so long and our conversations are so good for like the first three weeks. And then it's really hard to maintain momentum through that book. Um, and I don't blame the kids. It's hard for me to maintain momentum, but it's really told from like a journalistic and media perspective. So it's like that investigative journalism that I know a lot of us like in podcasts, but it's in book form. And so there's a lot of, it's not just a story about two boys and their guns and going to school. And like the very sad thing that happened at Columbine, a lot of it is critique on police response. It's critique on how the media handled it, critique on how the U S was handling things like this at the time. So it's really cool. Um, but it's a chunker. I'd say close reads are good for that one too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, Oh, we also got asked about our guilty pleasures reading. <laughs> It's going to come as no surprise to anybody that's been following me for a minute that I like to read YA fantasy novels, especially like the ridiculously long epic series, the ones by like Sarah J. Moss, uh, Jennifer L. Armentrout. <laughs> I will link them. <laughs> I like me. And these are not these are not to be suggested for students. They are racy. They are smutty and they are amazing. <laughs> So my guilty pleasure reads is Netflix. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a genre of guilty. I just, at this, at this stage in life right now, if I have a free moment, I'm actually not reading. Like, yeah, I'm not reading. <laughs> I'm like, get me away and just like somewhere else. And so I go to, well, you're not alone in that though. I'm sure that there, we have friends listening who are like, yeah, same. <laughs> I like to read when I'm like, really, I, I love reading and I love reading things that are mostly serious. And I just don't have a lot of fun reading fun books these days. Like I, my fun books are my kids' books. I do. I love reading with Hugo and I love reading with Sochi. I love Brown Bear, Brown Bear and Pirate Nell and all these little books that we're reading. Like that is definitely my fun reading right now. Yeah. I'm getting to a point where my kids are either like my son is reading chapter books oh my gosh. and my daughter is pre-reading. So she's just narrating the pictures to things so we yeah. can like snuggle up and like, I can get lost in a book for like five whole minutes and it's 
breathtakingly wonderful. That's um, been, that's been sh- what I'm doing now too. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll, it'll, you'll get there. I didn't read a full book for years What for pleasure. Like it was, it was reading, it was reading books on pedagogy. It was, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. reading so much research and all of that, that like, it took me a while to get back to the love for reading for the sake of reading. And I know everybody has different experiences, but like I have, I, yeah, a book lover is what I am. And I have not been an avid reader for a while. And I finally feel like I'm back to it. Yeah. Well, and I also, I guess I could say I guilty pleasure. I love reading Instagram. Like I scroll and I read and I really learn a lot from people. And I I don't know. I love my social media reading. It's like blogs. (laughs) No, it is. It's like, it's, it's little micro blogs. Yeah, Yeah. no, totally. I get it. I I do love that. I do love that. Mm -hmm. So we also have a bunch of uh, questions on lessons and strategies. And the first one that we have for you, we thought was just like brilliant. Like what is your favorite kind of boring, but like productive or like effective lesson. Okay. So is this like the equivalent of our chicken recipes? I I guess so. Like you don't, it's a no brainer, (laughs) right? You just no brainer. (laughs) Go for it. I'd say my no brainer is at this point, it is close reading. That's what I I was going to say. Get out of my head. I I mean, we've talked about it before on this podcast and this, and and I, and I do want to say like, it took practice it used to be a big brainer. Like it used to be really stressful to think about like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this passage? But now that it's become this like once a week, it's chicken fajitas kind of thing. Totally. (laughs) I feel so much more comfortable selecting a text, putting it in front of kids. I'm using a template over and over again. We'll link all that in the show notes for you guys. Um, and my kids are also getting better at the kinds of conversations I want them to have about close reading and how to do it because I've stopped trying to reinvent things all the time. And instead of reinventing the system, I'm bringing new texts to the table all the time. And the kids are like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, it's not, it's not a novelty anymore. Um, I would say if I'm going to pivot from close reading, cause I feel the same way. It's like, it used to just be like, <gasps> what are we going to do with the text? And I was like, I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> like, or like, yeah, I know how this is going to go. Um, I would say using quick writes to fuel discussion. Mm, that's, that's another one of the questions that we're going to address too from, um, listeners is like some discussion strategies. Um, and that's actually something I go really in depth into in my membership, which I don't think I've mentioned on here before, but I'll link it in the show notes. It's called the English teacher lab. So those of you who are ELA teachers, I might have something you're interested in. Um, but I like using quick writes and just like brain picking students as, like the te- like legit quick writes where they are, you get one minute to answer this question. The next one, you get two minutes to answer this question. The next one, you get three minutes and they're like, you know, leveling up in complexity and then using that as discussion fuel to, to like, however long or short a class discussion is, um, you would think students get really sick of quick writes, but if you're changing up what they're writing about every time, they actually get better and better at writing for three minutes, at thinking through their thoughts as they're communicating them in writing. And yeah, I like that. We also got a question about what kinds of lessons are worth pre-recording and like what kinds of lessons do you have in your quote, like vault of, you know, Loom or Screencastify, like screen recorded lessons. Um, and Marie and I have talked about this before a couple of times. And I think for the, for both of us, the priority on that list, like the answer is as many as you can, 
Um, <laughs> but I think the priority on the list for both of us are writing specific lessons. Right, Marie? For sure. For sure. For sure. I would even venture to say to broaden that a little bit to the skill, like specifically skill-based lessons. Yeah. You're literally showing a student how to blank. That's great for pre-recording because that can be applied to any text that can be applied to any content, right? Like anything that's a how to unpack a prompt, which is a good one. Like that's all worthy of your time pre-recording. If it's what was Gatsby's motivation in blah, blah, blah. That's probably a little bit too specific. And that's something that would right. serve you and your students better in like real time synchronously. I have one on writing a claim. I have one on embedding textual evidence for literary analysis. And then I have another one that's pretty much the same thing, but it's for rhetorical analysis. Um, and then I have a couple on like other random skills, like um, discerning tone um, is one of them. But yeah, I wish I would have started doing this a long time ago. Cause it's totally. not that hard. It does take some time, but like once you've done it, you've got it forever. And so I'm, I'm going to work on that this summer. I think a little bit more and building that bank a little deeper. It's nice. It's nice. That's yeah. I keep talking about my membership. That's another thing I talk about is how to like streamline writing instruction in this fashion. Um, okay. We were also being asked about engagement strategies and virtual learning specifically. So we wanted to, in the show notes, point you guys to a couple of episodes where we talked about some good like organization strategies for virtual teaching, some just like quick tips and that sort of thing for virtual teaching. We thought that you all would be sick about hearing about hybrid and virtual teaching and learning, but it's still going. So I guess we're all maybe sick of it, but we still have to figure it out. Right. So we have a couple episodes, um, previous episodes to point you to and that kind of a thing, but like some of my favorite engagement strategies for teaching period involve, um, like quick moments where students go and like find something out for themselves. Right. So it's like you give them a list of like two or three terms and you say, Everybody with the last name, blah, you know, through blah, you get term one. Everybody, blah, blah, like assign them something and give them a five minute quick research so that they have something to come back with um, and they have a specific task to do. Just like, I like making students do the work basically is what I'm saying. Like, I'm not going to tell you what these three terms mean. You're going to go find out and then you're going to teach each other. And then like, they have to be involved. Well, what you're describing is what we talked about a couple episodes ago yeah. when it comes to pacing your class period. Totally. I think like the foundational piece of engagement is having a well-paced class period on a regular basis. Because if your class is paced well and the activities and what you're asking kids to do is predictable, but also like shifting at an energy level that keeps kids engaged, you're going to be feeling a lot more successful even on a crappy day. Um, and I think for me, like in general, it's very much like you, Marie. Um, and I would say tools right now that are my favorites in 2021 at the moment. Um, I am very much loving my Nearpod. Um, Nearpod has like had a whole new level of like, I don't even know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, but it's been, it's been, it's been totally revitalized for me in a virtual world than I had used it in the regular classroom. And now I even see returning to the classroom differently with Nearpod, just the options and the opportunities for kids to engage and chat, like have it recorded and have a place where I can collect all of that. Um, I like Pear Deck for similar things, um, but Pear Deck and Nearpod, I think have 
very different offerings. And I think that those two are really nice options uh, for asynchronous teaching if you're doing a virtual situation and then in the regular classroom, um, you know, those are also good. But I think just having random days, you know, random events and just harnessing them you know if something weird happens like let it linger you know like let things be weird tell a bizarre story about your life i mean i was going through a rudy francisco poem the other day and i kind of gave the kids a template that went along with it and i started revealing some really like odd things about myself (laughs) through you know my model of this poem and you know what when the kids are listening to you talk about yourself not in a vain way but in a bizarre random details kind of way they're leaning in. If you guys don't follow Esther Bernat on Instagram, yeah. you need to follow Esther because Esther is the queen of this. And her kids are like giving her dating advice. They're telling her all about the moods and things. I mean, she's awesome at this and she is a go-to for sure. And a lot of it really is. And this is what Esther does. It's just sharing pieces of your humanity, right? Yep. Like it's yep. not oversharing it. We're not no. saying like, let students into your personal life in a way that would be weird, but it's more the things that we don't think of to share with random teenagers who happen to be our students. It's, it's things like, oh yeah, when I was in, you know, high school, I had a recurring dream about a bridge, like, you know, just, which I didn't, I'm just making that up. Um, but they're the things that, that kids hear and kind of go like, oh, right. You're a person. Oh, who knew? Bridges. Bridges. I have a recurring dream about a bridge and I just can't cross it. No. Okay. Now we're getting to a really weird place. So friends, we've had so much fun just like taking in all of the requests and suggestions that you have for episodes. And then especially this one, just like favorite things. It was kind of random. It's all over the place. But then again, so are we talking about teacher life, books and texts, lessons and strategies. It's fun. It's a good time. And if you asked a question that didn't get answered, likely it's in our show notes. We tried to answer more than we could talk about in one episode. Um, So make sure you guys head over to bravenewteaching.com and check out the episode show notes for all kinds of suggestions and a more organized way of looking at our hot mess of a conversation today. Absolutely. And uh, hey guys, thank you again for joining us. We will see you next time.